podcast is from the Abington Community Library. We'll be talking about library programs, book recommendations and explorations, and fun facts. Excellent Podcast, Episode 23, Spooky Reads. Hello, and welcome to Lexivore, the podcast from the Abington Community Library. You might be familiar with lexicon, vocabulary, or lexical. Lex has to do with words, and vore, like herbivore or carnivore, means an eater of. So, lexivore means those who are voracious in reading, those who devour words. I'm Mary. And I'm Mega, and we are making this podcast for the Abington Community Library. You may recall us from previous episodes. We've covered a lot of topics, from polar bears and mental health to murder mysteries and romance, from cooking books to history books, and a whole lot more. If any of that sounds interesting, perhaps you'd like to go check them out. Today, we are joined by one of our co-workers, Emily, who handles our adult programming. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on this spectacular day. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. I bet it's going to be a lot of fun. You were the first person we thought of when brainstorming who to bring on for a spooky fall reads episode. So I'm sure you have lots of great recommendations for our listeners. I have been plotting kidnapping. That's all I'm saying. Alien abduction. (laughs) I am so glad you thought of me. I am obsessed with Halloween. So this is perfect. Uh, Halloween's like one of my favorite holidays. It's fun to... All the um, stories behind it, all the imagining, um, the different characters, both mytho- mythological, uh, fantastical. It's it's a lot of fun. Be as you are not. I like dressing up. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I think I went as a tree like four years. I was just like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I will be a tree. <laughs> what is your favorite Halloween costume you ever did, Mary? Oh, um, probably being uh, Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, just because it's the one time I get to be blonde, and I am an incredibly ugly blonde, <laughs> but she's one of my favorite characters, so. The character sounds like fun. I'm not too sure about this ugly business. I think you'll have to show me so I can judge for myself. <laughs> I'll wear it again this year, <laughs> since I spent like $40 on a wig. <laughs> really? Fun. What about you, M? Favorite oh. costume? Oh my god, I don't know. Um, I think it's basic, but I was a pirate one year, Ooh. and I had a lot of fun with that. That sounds hilarious. Yeah. I wore the outfit, the pirate outfit, the first time when I was in, like, the sixth grade. The pirate talk is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I once wrote a paper that included some of the, um, I was talking about some of the language aspects, about how the language was being used and how the vocabulary works. It's kind of its own dialect. And I thought that was hilarious at that age. And, and that's why it gets its own holiday. Exactly. Talk like a pirate day. Uh, <laughs> I'd make a better parrot than pirate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mega, what have you been reading? Okay, so, one of the books I was reading is Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Critic in Disguise by Ruth Rachel. Don't quote me on the pronunciation, please. Um, okay, so this is an autobiography. It's... She was a New York Times food critic, and she was very well known for writing a double review. So she would go once as the food critic, and obviously all the restaurants want a good review from the food critic. So she'd get the best of the best service, and she would go once as this unknown diner, and she would be like all in disguise and giving fake names. And 
And how is it when you're not one of the rich and famous and you just go there wanting to experience like this restaurant that they're writing such beautiful reviews about, sometimes the service is still really good. And sometimes it's awful because they know that you're not someone who has power over them. So they'll like, you know, give you the worst seating and, and take forever to take your order. And it's like, that, that's a difference that people should know about. Because it's not just writing the reviews of, um, they're not in the business of selling the restaurants. They're in the business of going, what happens when you go there? So if somebody reads the beautiful review and goes there and gets lousy service, then that kind of falls on the paper. So she was um, trying to be ethical about that. And it's also pretty fun because it included some recipes. Oh, that's cool. That was what caught my eye. It was like, well, if she's doing the food critic for the New York, which is very big and competitive and stuff, then I bet those recipes are out of this world. If she's, you know, including them in her autobiography. What sort of disguises did she use? Um, she's particularly interested in not being someone that they would go out of their way to suck up to, to put it bluntly. So she would be frumpy or like the kinds of things that aren't going to get people to look at her and go, let me give you the extra best service. Now, sometimes she got really good service that way anyway, because she would be like the kind of person who looks kind and people would be like, oh, sure. Let me, let me help you out because there are, you know, those kinds of people that you just want to smile at. How yeah. involved were these disguises? Like, so was she wearing, like, old age makeup and stuff like yes. that? Yes. She, ha- she went and got wigs. Um, she went to, like, different stores to pick up outfits. She had a friend who was, I think, an actor or something who was teaching her how to, like, put on the makeup so that she looked very different. Like, not just look your best makeup, but look like something else. So that was how, in one case, she got to be, uh, like, a pair of old ladies out to, to lunch instead of young up-and-coming food critic. Um, it also talked like about her personal life. I mean, it's an autobiography, so it talked about that this, these kind of disguises also took a toll on her because a lot of the times she would be going in as a persona that wasn't like critical in some way or another, or that would be making a fuss about this. And like sometimes the people who were there with her would be uncomfortable because but, like she was trying to be other than herself. And sometimes that meant being people that she didn't like. And sometimes people that the other people with her didn't like either. So, so it goes. That's a really interesting social experiment, though. And I imagine, like, psychologically, it does take yes. a lot on you. And then, like, you I, know, when you're trying yeah. to, like, break out of that persona, so, I would imagine Yeah, so it's, it's not difficult. something that I actually thought about before I saw the book itself. And that I ended up picking it up by impulse. Um, I was on that particular, somebody returned a whole stack of them, like every book that she wrote, I think. And this one was just like on top of the stack and I was kind of like leafing through it as I was doing something else. Were there any, any restaurants where she had like the opposite experience where it like was awful when she was the critic, but was like great when she was just... There, I think there were some restaurants which were great regardless of what phase she went into. I don't think there were any that were specifically awful when she went as the critic, but also because any restaurant that did that would probably expect to find itself out of business very shortly if she was the vindictive type. (laughs) So, I mean, that's how it actually started. It's like the restaurants were um, uh, posting her pictures in the kitchens and there was a bounty out. Anybody who could tell what restaurant she's going to gets like 500 bucks. She's going to be here tonight. And they're like, here's 500 bucks. Go <laughs> Some, I mean, because it was, it, it's for them, it's seriously a matter of business. Yeah. If they mess up her order, then they can expect a, a petty kind of person could ruin them, ruin them for that. Was she petty? Oh, I mean, she was going in as the unknown diner, so I think she was trying to be responsible more than anything else. Yeah. She was not 
actually interested in going in as herself and getting the best and best of everything as much as she was authentic trying to get her readers to know you want to go in you want to get that magical experience maybe once in a lifetime you'll go into one of these restaurants and if the service sucks then that's terrible like you might not get another chance she did mention that like a couple of people would want to go with her because they when she was dining as herself because then they'd get like the best service and it'd be like awesome it was great it's a lot of it's fun I want to be a restaurant bounty hunter now. Like, I want that person who's getting 500 bucks just to follow these other people around and find out where they're going. I'm too lazy for that, though. I know, but it's I wouldn't it's be able funny. to do that well. But. but I think it was like when she was uh, flying in on the plane, her seatmate next to her was trying to ask where she was going to go and was the one who spilled the beans on, did you know that they're bountying you? Like, literally. Because she was... Um, she was somewhere else being a food critic before that was much more small scale and laid back. Nobody was hunting her down. And her <laughs> she was like, what the heck is this? Only in New York. <laughs> I mean, different cultures, I guess, but it's, it was hilarious. Okay. So that's that. Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Critic in Disguise by Ruth Rachel. Uh, last thing is the Garlic and Sapphires is obviously from our library. What about you, Em? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> I've been reading a few things. This is just, I always have a bunch going at once. So this is a couple of things that I've been reading lately. Um, the first that I wanted to talk about is Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bezterica, which was a recommendation by Renee, who you might know from this podcast. Um, <laughs> and it is so good. It is, or it was like, deeply creepy. Um, It is about an alternate universe. It takes place around our own time, a little bit in the future, but um, a supposed disease has infected all animals, and so animals become poisonous to humans, and humans have to start eating other humans, and it becomes basically like the meat industry of today but the product is human beings who are um, purposefully grown. I don't know what the... <laughs> raised? Yeah, yeah, like raised for the purpose. Um, but they are like fully human beings. And the story is about this... Um, and I'm not quite going to spoil it, but if you want to read it, you should skip over the next couple of sentences um (laughs) spoiler warning (laughs) i'm not totally spoiling it i promise um it is about a worker at one of the plants that um breeds and slaughters humans and he ends up with one of these humans at his house and it seems like it is going to go in a very sweet direction between them and it does not. Oh, um, no. So it is an extremely chilling ending. And if you can predict um, how it goes from what I'm saying, it's worse than that. Um, oh, so you wow. should read this book. <laughs> that is, what happened to the vegetables? <laughs> why are they yeah, why can we not eat vegetables? <laughs> Satan is very good. And yeah. me, it tastes meat like if people are really that crazy. Well, I mean, this is a subplot kind of of the book, but it's a bit of a conspiracy um, uh-huh. that actually animals probably aren't poisonous. Someone just convinced oh. everyone that they are and convinced everyone that plants um, 
but that's not enough for a human Sustainable. being to live on. Is it the yes. same thing, or is it two conspiracies colliding? It is the same. The same. It, the same conspiracy. Yes. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. this is so fascinating. <laughs> No, it makes me think of this episode of American Horror Stories that I just watched that's called, like, Feral, and it's about, like, being out in the woods, and, like, it's sort of hinting towards, like, Bigfoot, but then they pull, like, a twist on you, and there's cannibalism and oh i have to watch that it was really good although it's probably very gory isn't it it is pretty gory but (laughs) not as gory as a lot of episodes of american (laughs) horror story have been so fair fair all right so the next one um and this i just finished over the weekends it is the atmospherians by alex McElroy, um and it is about a social media influencer who is cancelled um, because she makes a rude comment to a troll who had been intensely, intensely harassing her, like commenting every day, um, calling her work, telling her just all sorts of like truly awful, horrendous things. Harassment, stalking, yes. Um, and he ends up killing himself and everyone turns on her and she is completely cancelled and goes off in the woods and starts a cult to um sort of try to cure men of their toxic masculinity it is kind of a satire um it i didn't i don't know i didn't like it that much but i also finished it like in a single weekend so i was definitely I don't know, like, compelled or interested enough to keep reading it. I mean, the cover is really pretty, you know. Was it a debut? Um, I think so. I think so. We just pronounce everything wrong. Okay. We live with it. <laughs> All right, well, that is what the author's last name is. Um, and it is, this one I haven't finished, um, but it is... it's really good so far it's broken up it's an academic book and kind of like unusually for academic books it's broken up into extremely short chapters um but there are a lot of them and also unlike most academic books it's extremely broad um like it's looking at this really niche subject which is the picking of particular kinds of mushrooms in the woods of oregon um but it is in looking at this one thing it kind of focuses on absolutely everything that becomes involved in this which makes it really broad so it looks at um sort of immigration trends throughout the 1900s um it looks at um restaurants in Japan and in Portland, just all sorts of different things that go into this one, you know, tiny thing. Market economics, capitalism, global warming. Yeah. Um, So it is... I think I need this book. Yeah, definitely worth reading. Um, actually, this one and Tender is the Flesh um, were both interlibrary loans, um, and I am the interlibrary loan librarian, so <laughs> that is how you... Um, we unfortunately don't have them in the Lackawanna County system, but we do have these other resources available. If lots of people request them, maybe we'll get them. All right, and then this book, um, which I don't really have that much to say about, but it is Silas Minor by... George Eliot. And I've been on a real kick of like reading contemporary books 
the past few months. And so this is the first like classic that I've read in kind of a while. And I would recommend doing that every once, you know, every so often, because it's kind of refreshing um, reading something that's not all about like the dangers of social media and global warming. Just thinking about, I don't know, humanity across the ages rather than hyper-focusing on our own period. Do you like it so far? I do, yeah. I'm really anxious about um, this this sad old man in it, and I just, I want all the best for him. (laughs) Actually, he's not that old. He's like 30, but the books describe him as an old man. Is the book written from the point of view or includes the point of view of folk? (laughs) It's written like just an objective well, you know, Cranky third person. All right. And I think Mary has a book to talk about. I got for my birthday a copy of Paper Girls, which Ooh. is a graphic novel. <laughs> and I adore it. If you're big fans of the 80s or Stranger Things and you're kind of looking for something to fill in that gap um, before the next season comes out, I would definitely recommend Paper Girls. It's 30 volumes, but the story is complete now. Um, which is awesome because I hate having to like wait between (laughs) things, but it's so much fun. It's just these girls who literally like deliver paper in the eighties come across like alien time travelers and they now have to try to like follow these time traveling aliens to prevent like the destruction of earth, but they get to meet like their future selves. They get to go back to prehistoric times. So like, it's a lot of fun, and the artwork is so beautiful. Like, I was going to say, I've seen the cover of that, and it's... Yeah, and the, the artwork is awesome. It's very, like, blue and pink, and, like, I, I love it. And they are making a TV show for it on Amazon. <laughs> so, super excited. They've started filming. I'm now, like, stalking the interwebs looking for <laughs> pictures. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and you can find that in our YA section. Is it going to be animated or live action? Live action. <laughs> Super excited. A lot of fun. Nice. It sounds like fun. The main theme for this episode is spooky reads. That includes like fall reads and um, more horror reads and more paranormal stuff and all kinds of whatever we come up with. We are the ones who set the trend. <laughs> all right. So spooky reads. We've all got some stuff to bring to the table. Sometimes literally. Oh. As Vega has a stack of books next to me. <laughs> I, that's why I called it out, because then I get to be the one who says it. And, uh, okay, so who's going to start us off? How about our guest, Emily? What do you plan <laughs> on reading this fall? This fall, um, I am going to reread. Actually, I don't know if I'm actually going to reread this, but it is well, the best fall book. And it is so good, and you should read it, because I've already read it, like, eight times. Um, It is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, um, which is kind of popular on Tumblr right now. So if you are into, like, bookish Tumblr, you've probably already seen it. But if, for whatever reason, you haven't read it yet, you should. Because even though kind of, like, cringy Tumblr teens like it, it's... I don't know. I guess I am a cringy Tumblr teen at heart. (laughs) (laughs) And a dark academic. (laughs) An academic academic. (laughs) Everything's good. Um, But it is about a group of students at a 
semi, like very semi, this isn't the Ivy League, semi-prestigious university in New England and their murder of one of their classmates, which is, you find out that that happened on like the first page, that's not a spoiler, but it is very fall aesthetics heavy. It's a lot funnier than it's kind of talked about, but it is also... I mean, you feel smart reading it. There is some really pretty language and smart references, and it is just a real page-turner nonetheless, even with all the sort of literary touches um, in it. And, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Donna Tartt is also the writer of The Goldfinch. You may have read that, but I would say that this This secret history has a very different... It's vibe, better. yeah. It's better. <laughs> and, and don't watch the, the movie of the goldfinch. It's good, but like this is just better. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. What is your spooky recommendation? Okay, so the author Nina Kariki Hoffman writes a lot of really good books. I think the library has spirits that walk in shadow, and that is, it's there's a kind of supernatural like backstory to it. But these two particular main characters are meeting as college roommates and the mainstream culture has no idea about any of it. So they kind of find out that they each have a history, I guess, or a knowledge. And it's really pretty cool. I've read a bunch of her works and they all have this kind of subtle background to it. So the magic is real, but most people don't know about it. But there's like certain families and certain communities that have an idea, which is probably how it work because people talk like mad. But the library used to have a stir of bones, which is truly excellent and has this ghost story going on at the end uh you know this whole bunch of teens that are kind of getting together as an almost like investigating a house for for ghosts and one of their tagalongs actually meets the ghost and it's it becomes this whole thing it's so funny it's it's a are they nice ghosts or a very nice (laughs) okay so like a casper one of one of the i think the main character is dealing with a domestic abuse situation and the ghost is trying to help because the, um, that particular ghost took their own life and is worried that this character is going in the same direction, even though it's for very different reasons. And so they're trying to help and get them connections in the real world and ships and all kinds of things. So it's a very, very nice story. I, and like I said, I, I like that author a lot. Spirits That Walk in Shadow is the one we've got now. Um, you want to toss in one? Playing off the like ghost theme, I would recommend... House of Salt and Sorrows by Erin Craig. That's in our young adult section, and it's kind of a retelling of the 12 Dancing Princesses with a very heavy, like, ghost theme to it. And it's very spooky, it's very dark, um, but there's still, like, a whimsical aspect, and it takes place on, like, a stormy island. And and the cover is so cool. It's, like, this dark gray cover, but, oh, I loved it. It's very atmospheric, and I feel like, you know, when you go into your fall reads, you're kind of looking for, like, Mm -hmm. a certain, like, setting and a tone that's very different from, like, your happy-go-lucky beach reads of people falling in love. And, (laughs) you know, it's a very different vibe we're going for here, but... Well, I just like to feel as if you are curled up in front of a fire in, like, some cabin, even if you aren't actually. And, of course, when you're curled up in front of the fire in in some cabin, you're looking for things that are fantastical and far away to read about. So, friends, do we believe in ghosts? No. Yes. 
Ghosts aren't real. <laughs> Listen, that's exactly what a ghost would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have someone who did not give their answer? <laughs> I I did not. No. Um. I I would say I do. I would say I'm I'm very um whimsical and open minded. So I feel like I can't be like team alien if I'm not team ghost as well. So <laughs> I mean, I want ghosts to be real. I just I. Not here, you know? I think we need to go to the Albright Library. I have very good um, communication that there is a ghost there, so we can go visit. I definitely believe that there are things going on that we don't understand. Um, I don't think that we know everything yet. I don't know if they are what we think they are, but I think there's something going on. And uh, my mom says that we're kind of the worst kind of skeptics because when somebody goes, oh, there's a ghost, we go, who can I see? So we're more likely to root out all of the fakes. And stuff. Oh, we don't believe blindly. We're poking at it going like, yes, I want it to be so. Like, show me. Show me how it works. So, yeah, we be- I believe, but not, not blindly, not all the things that everybody says. But I believe that there's something and I want to go poke at it till I figure out what it is. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, Emily, you've got to talk about scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, I think that we should have a whole, like, theme of talking about scary kids' books. Because (laughs) I know you have a couple. There there are a lot. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, And they are just, like, the best. I don't know if they're, I mean, obviously they're not scarier than adult, like, you know, horror books. But they are more Halloween-y kind of true like they definitely give off more halloween vibes um so i love scary stories to tell in the dark um that is by alvin schwartz um and art by stephen gamel and the art i mean the stories are good but the art is the most important part of this book they are just so so creepy even when the story, like, it's kind of divided up into sections, this book, and some of them are, like, goofier. They're these, like, funny little poems. But the art that goes along with them is always just absolutely horrifying. Like, true nightmare <laughs> stuff. Like, I really cannot. <laughs> yeah, like, you, yeah. you can't really paint the proper picture unless you've opened you've, the book. Yeah, they, they are so scary. <laughs> Especially for, like, a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, they're very otherworldly. Um, and I just, I loved that as a kid. And this was not in those books. Uh, this one, probably the piece of media that I've been most scared by was in another collection of short stories meant for children. And I don't even know if this is what it's called. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know the story of the girl with the green ribbon. It is about a girl who has a green ribbon tied around her neck. And um, her husband is like, can you, I want to take off the ribbon. And she's like, no. No. (laughs) And they grow up together and she always has this green ribbon. And everybody's always like, what's the deal with that? And she just never takes it off. Yeah, until the very end of the book. And there is the page after she takes it off. (laughs) And my friends, when I was in kindergarten, like, in kindergarten, they would hide this book open on that page in places where they knew I would find it. They would, like, 
when I was not expecting it, shove it in my face, <gasps> and I would freak out. I think you needed to bite them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you even read scary stories after that. Yeah, I was I was very afraid of it. And I was, like, tiny and superstitious. Like, I kind of felt like the book was real at the time, you know? Anyway, that's the scariest thing that I ever experienced in media. <laughs> And it's great. You should read it. Yeah, totally. Thumbs up. That's five star review. That's the ending we needed. For the girl with the green ribbon. Yeah. No, but I think you bring up an interesting point, though, that within children's literature, there's a lot of, like, horror. And I feel like some authors aren't afraid to push the envelope as they may be in in adult stuff, Mm -hmm. actually. Because I feel like goosebumps like that whole mask story where like the mask like melted onto the kid's face because they Mm -hmm. didn't remove it quick enough like that's horrific (laughs) i have nightmares about that or like are you afraid of the dark like when that was on nickelodeon um i think i remember watching part of one of those and i don't watch much so for it to stick with me that long i mean not only do i not watch much i don't remember much for, for so for it to stick with me that long is something yeah, I feel like um, sort of bizarre things that in adult fiction you might find in literary fiction are in the mainstream in children's fiction. Yes. Especially with um, scary books. Although not necessarily. But um, but there's a lot of like what ifs that you find in children's literature that can be very like yeah. memorable and kind of like imprint on you as you yeah. grow up. I mean Definitely. like... I definitely have been thinking a lot more about R.L. Stein after watching um, the Netflix movie series Fear Street. And now I'm like, oh my god, now I've got this itch that I have to scratch of like reading all of these R.L. Stein books. Um, and I'll read them and I'm going to like roll my eyes and be like, wow, this is awful. But it's like, he's a good horror writer though, and it's very hard to find that. Oh, is that what Fear Street was based on, actually? Yeah, it was on the R.L. Stein, yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't, he has, have, like, a whole collection of young adult stuff that people don't know about? Uh, Yeah, he's got that whole, like, Fear Street series, which is why I... I've read some of them. The the movies or television show or whatever is not, I never did, but the... Yeah, the the movies just came out like this summer, and they're not like based on a specific Fear Street novel, but you can kind of see like remnants of a few different, but that was like a series he started long, long ago, and then he's like revamped it in the last like five or so years to be like not as bad, awful 80s (laughs) covers as the originals are, but yeah, Fear Street is is great i think on the topic of rl stein there's one other thing about him that the public needs to yes know. yes agreed yes. <laughs> after after much research into um rl stein for maybe future endeavors here at the library but yes. emily would you like to share i would love to so rl stein is on this website where you can rent famous people to come to your events and he will officiate yes he can officiate your wedding although um the price is not listed so that's not a good sign (laughs) (laughs) but just know all of your dreams can come true by having rl stein at your wedding possible to rent rl stein you can also rent if you'd like pikachu and he could be your best man at your wedding (laughs) 
<laughs> the possibilities are endless in the yes. year 2021. <laughs> and I know that this is Lexivore, but I think if we're talking about Halloween, we have to move into Halloween movies. Yes. They're still, they still count. What is your favorite Halloween movie? And don't say Charlie Brown. I was not going to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. I really like The Ring. The Ring is um, my comfort movie. I watch that all the time with friends at sleepovers. And um, I don't know how familiar people are with the plot of it, but within the movie The Ring, there is a video that if you watch it, it kills you in seven days. And of course, they play that video during the movie. And so I watched it as a middle schooler at the sleepover. And... I remember laying in bed seven days later and it was like the first time I ever confronted my own mortality. Like I was so sure that I was about to die and I was really, like I was laying there thinking like, I'm not going to be here. Like I I was just contemplating a world where I was not there and it freaked me out a lot. Um, and anyway, <laughs> but this movie is so good. It's so spooky. There are all these like long sweeping shots, a uh, rainy, dark countryside. Um, the story itself is just perfect for Halloween because lots of people are dying and there is revenge and there is oh god it's just it's just great there's a camp they go to camp that's right a short bit of it there's investigations there's mystery the shot with the ladder i don't know why i always just remember like from a cinematography viewpoint (laughs) like this stupid ladder (laughs) you get the visual aspect just right just it does. Yeah. You see a lot of that in photography, too. Sometimes you just see that visual and you gotta have it. And I don't think it's... It's not set at Halloween. No. As far as I know. No, I don't um, believe so. But it might as well be. Pretend it is. You could easily pretend it is. Yes. I, I remember watching it, too, the first time in high school <laughs> with a bunch of friends and we're watching it and then his phone starts ringing and we were like, oh my god, oh my god don't god, answer it, don't answer, answer the phone. like. And the way the dead people look. Yeah. Oh my god. And you could talk about this movie for ages because there are all these little details in it that like add up to mean things. Things. But don't watch the sequels. I thought the sequels were horrible. The I hate the, the Ring You or like I don't whatever remember that them, one was in the college. Ugh. I love Ring so, the Ring so much that I will just blanket recommend anything that has to do with it. <laughs> okay, so I think that averages out to proceed with caution. Yeah. What, what's <laughs> your? Might like it or like might not. What about you, Mega? Do you have a favorite Halloween movie, horror I film? I don't watch much movies. I really don't. Um, I do have a favorite Halloween book. And that is, it was this little paperback that was literally called the Halloween Tree or something like that. And there were like a bunch of kids going up to the spooky mansion on the dare. And the person inside goes, well, you know, figure out, let's figure out what Halloween is all about. It takes them romping through history and the Halloween kind of legends. And oh, very cool. And kind of like, kind of real and kind of not. He's taking them through. So they visited like the Day of the Dead and had sugar skulls. They visited um, 
the like Middle Ages when it was all about witches and black cats. Oh, and that's so cool. There was some history in there because it's kind of like this is what various people believed at, at specific times and places. And there was mm-hmm. the fantastical element because they were interacting with it, the legends kind of in, in their own way. And it was like really fun. It was really fun. And it, it kind of got me because I'm interested in the history just as much as I am in the, the legends themselves. So that was really cool. Who is that by? No clue. I don't remember. <laughs> that one was Google. Just yeah. What was one of the books that, um, I don't know how we got them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody claimed them. Hmm. I mean, we have a lot of books at home, but usually it's like, this is a book that mom bought, this is a book that dad bought, this is a book that we brought home from the book fair. But there were a couple of books that mom says she didn't buy them. Dad would definitely not buy them. <laughs> too young to pick them up ourselves by the time we found them. Ooh, so there's weird. a couple of books that are just like mysteries. We don't know how they got in our house. This one is one. Another one was a book about fairies. That's and perfect for a Halloween book. I know. Yeah. I like that fairy book so much. It talks a lot about the legends and lore. Um, it talks about them both as legends and lore and also as real. So it's like an encyclopedia of these mythical creatures. And it, I mean, it talks about some really obscure ones, not just the really popular ones. So... Um, you know, you get the the washerwoman, you get the some of these kobolds and various kinds of, of, of fairy creatures in it. Because it goes to the like real source literature, it's not always what you think it is. And it's it's a lot of fun. Um, the artwork is absolutely beautiful. It's uh, I'm trying to remember the author's name now. Brian Froud. F R O U D, I think. It, it's absolutely love. And like I said, it's it's a mystery. We don't know where huh. it came from. We don't know who got it for us. It just showed up. It's like this huge heart. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pulled it from our shelf one day and was enthralled. And I said, oh, mom, where did we get it? It's like, I've never seen that book before in my life. <laughs> I think it's a like, fairy uh-oh. left it for you. <laughs> and then there's this uh, section in back that has some of the like ballads and stories that it was drawing inspiration from. I, that's where I read the original, The Ballad of Tam Lin. Um, it had some photographs that were like purported to be a fairy. Some of them you could kind of see, some of you can't. Some of them I think were drawing from the Kotlinli fairy hawks, which was hilarious. <laughs> that is like my favorite, favorite story of all time. Um, the Kotlinli fairy hawks was these two girls who were selling photographs of fairies. And they were gone over by every expert in the field and they could, the photographs were real. Not altered, not there was nothing done to those photographs. They were not manipulated, no Photoshop. They were absolutely, the photographs are absolutely positively untouched. And that drove a lot of people nuts. <laughs> and eventually they found out that that was because the, the girls took photos of paper cutouts. So obviously the photographs were untouched. <gasps> people forgot because that was at the age when the photographic manipulation was taken out. People forgot that you can take a real photo of something fake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Huh. Lovely. I don't how many people missed that? How uh, many people missed yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the beauty of it. Okay. I have more movies to talk about, but uh, <laughs> well, another but, round of, of well, literatures. I mean they're movies that everyone has heard of. It's not but The Shining is great and Midsummer is great. And Obviously, that is not Halloween, the second of those. And honestly, The Shining is more of a Christmas movie. Um, 
<laughs> Along with Die Hard. Yeah. The ultimate Christmas it's like movie a Christmas selection. Movie in the in the um tradition of Die Hard. <laughs> yes. But they're both horror movies, of course. Um oh. go on. Oh, that collection. Oh. The, of like the really old school horror films with like oh, Dracula and stuff. Yeah, so there's a binge box. Should watch those. Yes. Um, yeah, we yeah. got the old school binge box. And I went to this movie theater that played The Shining um, Halloween week. So they thought it was a Halloween movie. So, you know, that's I'm, fair. I'm actually really curious about the Dracula movie because I've read the original book and I'm, mm-hmm. I have no idea how that would translate into a movie. It's. Um, I don't know if anybody, how many people have actually read the original book, but it's an epistolary novel. It's written in letters. That means they spend an inordinate amount of time talking about who's wearing what hat and what the gossip is going behind the scenes. And then there's like these sections of supernatural um, happenings and gossips and speculation that are inserted into these letters. Because in real life, you're talking about day-to-day life most of the time. And these things are like sneaking along in the background until they become the foreground. So... I would, I would, I think that would be hilarious to see an actual movie like that because, like, ninety percent of it would be all gossip, so, and then cars <laughs> around in the background going, "And who's wearing what hat?" <laughs> that reminds me of the. There's like this really old. Maybe it was like Game Boy or something. There's like a really old, like Dracula. And, oh, no, it's not Dracula, I'm sorry. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Ooh. the video game. And it's, like, one of the worst video games, like, ever made. Because all you're doing is, like, trying to get to a wedding. And, like, yeah, people are attacking you with their, like, fancy hats and umbrellas and stuff. And you're like, what does this have to do, like, with anything horror-related? But, yeah, it's literally, like, you just trying to get to a wedding. The originals are sometimes hilarious, like the original Frankenstein, and I and I've heard the movies are very different. They have they they go in completely different directions, so that can be a real that can be really interesting to to play into. Yeah, and I've heard that a lot of movies, the Frankenstein's monster can't even talk, and the whole like book is him going existential crisis, like you made me, and now what the heck are you doing? Jerk, deadly father. So. Yeah, the original is very eloquent. He teaches himself how to read and write and how to pass as human from eavesdropping on other people's conversations. Like, he has this whole um, friendship kind of with somebody who's blind because anybody who looks at him knows that he's not human and it's like, crazy freak, let's spread it. You know, people are really not appreciative of things that are different sometimes. Very true. But that eloquence and that philosoph- philosophy and that, and then they, they're going to get a monster who can't even talk. But yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Aw, poor guy. I know. He lost his voice. Silly people. I wanted to mention, I picked up a couple of um, nonfiction books about spooky legends and lore. So we have Spooky Pennsylvania by S.E. Schlosser. That includes a lot of kind of local legends and lore. You know, George Washington's ghost showing up to give some advice here. There was Benjamin Franklin's ghost in a library. And there was apparently an incident where he was putting his ghostly books back and bumped into the library and the library and like chased him half out of the library, lecturing him about patience and waiting your turn and not bumping into people who were working and uh, <laughs> apparently thereafter his ghost would like 
peer around the corners just to make sure that nobody was there when he's putting back his ghostly books. So, I mean, some of them are quite funny. Some of them are, uh, you know, legends of a murder done when they were laying the, the tracks and they would kind of replay that scene. Some of them are, are, are dark. Some of them are funny. Um, I have also Lore of the Ghost by Brian Houghton, which is very similar. It's origins of a lot of famous ghost stories. This one's throughout the world instead of just locally. Um, it does include some, like, in the United States, the Phantom Coach, some uh, Vanishing Hitchhikers, a lot of very famous ones, and it kind of talks about what might have started it or or kind of how, if you look at it, kind of all together, you can see patterns. That kind of thing is interesting. One of the other ones I picked up is monster science. So this is looking at storybook monsters and how they could or could not really work. So it's talking about like how zombies would work. Um, what the, it talks like very almost scientifically, like here's what the original legends were and how that might have been achieved by like drugs and stuff, because it was about people who were brain damaged could, could account for a lot of that. So it would stimulate death, and then afterwards they'd have brain damage, and then they would just basically do whatever they're told. Mm-hmm. So they would be worked as labor in the fields, and that, and from that, of course, we got to some very different origins and, and stories. But that's pretty cool. And you know, talking about how vampires might work, um, about how electricity might bring somebody back to life, how it's so it's pretty cool. It, it takes the science and the legend says how can it how can we put this together. Then a couple more funny ones. Spooky Tricks by Rose Weiler. And this is not about authentic anything, but it's about the <laughs> tricks that you can do. That, and it's all done in poetry. So that's hilarious. Oh my God. I so, have seen that book before. Yeah. I have not seen that book since I was in elementary school. So it's stuff like, I know, just flashed know. right back to it. <laughs> I did not remember that book existed. How to, how to pass a coin through a handkerchief. Um, how to take two short pieces of string and like put them in your mouth and draw out one long piece of string. It's magic, <laughs> um, shove some cards under your hand and pick up the <laughs> cards with it, which involves a ring with a toothpick. Yes, I'm giving you spoilers. Uh, to the, with a rolled up paper and a, you know how you can see a hole in your hand. It's silly stuff, <laughs> but it's fun. Go for it. All right. Any others that we want to mention? I mean, there's a lot of really good reads that you might enjoy that draw on supernatural or that have fall themes or that any of that um the library's got something for everybody we've got you know do something like science fiction halloween stories with in fury born or andrea norton star companion you can do things like witches are very popular lately so there's lots of new and exciting which Um, there's science ones it's all fun Dark Academia, I think fall is the perfect time to read all those, like, boarding school mysteries and murders and yes, stuff. Yes, dress in some plaid, have some black coffee or wine, light yes. a candle. To wrap things up, we would love to hear from you. Chat with us the next time you stop at the library um, by asking for Renee or Mary or those podcast folk. Um, leave us comments on our SoundCloud page or tweet at us at abingtoncomlib. Um, let us know what you are listening to, what you are reading, what you like or don't like about our podcast, and we can't wait to hear from you. Excellent. 
Thank you so much for joining us, Emily. This oh, is so much fun. Thank you again for it having has, me. It's been a lovely episode. You bring so much to share with us. Everybody's going to be, you know, find this a great episode. Please joining, join us for our next episode, which is going to be the best of 2021. We're going to be going over the top novels, top nonfiction of 2021, both in our individual reading as well as the library in general. This isn't something we've done before, so it's going to be really exciting to kind of see which books come out on top in terms of circulation, which movies come out on top, and we'll kind of be exploring the library as a whole, everything from our kids department to the adult section. That means, of course, that if you have something you would like to come out on top, get into the library and check them out. That's the only way to affect the circulation statistics. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast. We certainly had a lot of fun making it. We plan to have episodes every other month released on the first Sunday of a month. So our next episode is set for November 5th, and we hope you'll join us for it. You can find us on our website, lcleshome.org, or on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play if you search Lexivor Podcast. And the music used for this podcast is from podcastthemes.com. We used free theme number five. Many thanks to Mr. Belasco for allowing its use. Thanks for listening. <laughs>